you know, things start urban because of impact and trickle down to rural. And finally, now that rural's kind of front and center where everyone's realizing that, you know, we need rural. Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions, will dive into education issues, and will highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up The Scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sadorf. Hi, Rural Scoop listeners, and thanks for joining us today. I have the honor of speaking to Dr. Kim Alexander, the superintendent of the Roscoe Collegiate Independent School District, and learning about the innovative programming that they're doing for the students of Roscoe, Texas. Kim, are you ready to give us the scoop? Sure, I'm looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Before we get into the questions that I have planned, can you introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us about you? Tell you, I grew up on a farm and ranch here south of Roscoe. Uh, my family's been farming and ranching here since 1917. Been in the the school system here for 33 years. Uh, first as a teacher and a coach, then as a high school principal, and then the last 17 years as the superintendent. And we've been focused on you know, having grown up here and, and seen what Roscoe looked like a generation ago or now almost two generations ago compared to today, uh, really been focused on the rural dilemma and uh, the changing dynamic in rural, not just rural Texas, but even rural U.S., where the suburban movement that began in the 1950s uh, is where the outmigration of a lot of the social capital in rural sectors and your best and brightest uh, begin leaving for more opportunity and not returning, resulting mm-hmm. in what we call today the rural dilemma. And so that's that's our focus these days. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that and about the town of Roscoe. Give us a little bit more information about the rural dilemma in Roscoe and how Roscoe Collegiate has evolved over the last 20 years. Yeah, Roscoe uh, is primarily an agriculturally uh, based uh, economy here, uh, farming and ranching. And uh, over the years, uh, as a lot of changes have gone on in production agriculture, where uh, in 1950, about 60% uh, of the population were directly involved in production agriculture. And today that's less than 1%. Wow. And uh, but you do have these non-directly related uh, agricultural situations. And a lot of folks have shied away from agriculture. And, uh, you know, as Roscoe has changed from a predominantly upper middle class population of farm and ranch owners to a, a an impoverished class of uh, migrant farm labor and and ranch labor. And so a lot more generational poverty. Uh, At the same time here in Roscoe, back in 1980, we had a, we used to be a major turnpike here, folks going to Lubbock and Midland Odessa, and they 
they built Interstate 20 and, and Highway 84 around Roscoe, mm. and it really uh, eliminated a lot of the local business here. And so I've been dealing with that. And the, so the school system, when I was high school principal uh, back in 2000, got to looking at as our population, our demographics were changing, a lot more impoverished, a much more diverse ethnic population, uh, a predominantly Hispanic population today. And so as I noticed our, our graduates, a lot of our disadvantaged students would have good grades and good test scores. But in many situations, when they cross that graduation stage with their high school diploma, the best part of their life is now behind them. Right. Typically, the strategy when you're in poverty, well, I'm going to get a job over here at Walmart and save up my money, and then I'm going to do college. And uh, the reality is fewer than 1% who stop out ever get restarted to finish four-year degrees within six years. So that's what got us to looking at early college. And uh, in 2009, we became the first rural school-wide early college in Texas. And then in 2012, Texas Education Agency uh, realized that, you know, college readiness is workforce readiness. And so in Texas, we had early colleges that were focused on college readiness. We had STEM academies that were focused on workforce readiness. And that's when Texas Education Agency began merging the two concepts and to what has become known as early college slash STEM Academy, which it today is known as PTEC. And so it's a focus on college degrees that lead to uh, and industry workforce certifications that lead to gainful employment and not just gainful employment anywhere, but with a focus on regional workforce development here regionally where we can create opportunities for a more highly educated rural population to stay locally uh, with the concept that the more highly educated our population is, the that will lead to the innovation that will lead to rural job creation. And so a lot of our STEM Academy model is focused on rural job creation. In 2013, uh, the commissioner of, uh, former commissioner of education here in Texas, Michael Williams, asked us to add the paid student apprenticeship to our model of uh, the work-based learning. And so that's when we also began trying to figure that out and developing uh, school business partnerships for students to do paid student apprenticeships. So mm -hmm. we started off early with a, a collegiate chiropractic, which we just turned one of our dressing rooms and coaches offices into a chiropractor office. And one of our former graduates, uh, Dr. Nick Anthony has practiced about 45 miles east of here in Abilene. And he's been coming over and running a, a chiropractor clinic that's open to the public every Tuesday and Friday for the past number of years and has developed a pretty good business. And then we, we've been able to have some apprenticeship opportunities. Then we added EduVet, a mixed animal vet clinic uh, that's open to the public with a, a beef cattle reproduction program where we build cattle embryos as well. Mm -hmm. uh, EduDrone, which is students earn the Part 107 commercial drone flight certification. And 
so we have a, a commercial drone company, then we do uh, cinematography and agricultural data collection and things of that nature. Uh, we have EduMaker, which is an online 3D printing company where we do, uh, it's uh, around manufacturing, we do 3D printing and woodworking and CNC metalworking and coding and things around 3D printing. And uh, a representative from Hewlett Packard had told me that there's literally going to be thousands of jobs around 3D printing that can also be done uh, in these rural remote areas. So there's wow. a focus. Then EduWeld is a, uh, a welding shop. We do farm equipment repair and manufacturing and metal art. It's open to the public and students can earn multiple welding certifications in that program as well. And then uh, we've actually got one uh, graduate of Edu Realty where students earned the real estate sales license that would go well with a business degree or business pursuing business. Uh, so, and then we've got Educast, which is a, uh, it's not really a, a for-profit business, but we're, we do uh, newscast with uh, the weather and sports and stuff. Uh, just constantly looking at uh, ways to create new meaningful STEM apprenticeship opportunities, but basically trying to uh, a model for early college to break the generational poverty cycle through higher education and a model for STEM workforce readiness. Texas can't fill half of the STEM jobs uh, available due to an uneducated workforce. Hmm. So you've been describing different parts of, of education. Describe for us the mission of the model and uh, how it came to be. And talk a little bit, too, about the land-grant colleges that are a part of this system. Okay, sure. Yeah, education last in 2019, the commissioner of Texas Education Agency, Mike Morath, had been looking at our model. A lot of the the funding uh, around House Bill 3, the bill that passed 2019 here in Texas, uh, a lot of the incentives in that bill were taken from this model for workforce readiness. But uh, so we, as a result, we've been hosting schools from all over the state and even the around the nation uh, for the last several years. And so anyway, he asked us to take this model and uh, become a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, so they hired uh, Maya Consulting out of Austin and uh, paid them 50000 to turn us into a 501c3 nonprofit hmm. for the purposes of more proactively scaling our model uh, in Texas primarily is obviously their focus. Uh, and we've had a, an agreement with AgriLife Extension for students to do research that is real research. Uh, that's a, a partnership that has led us to what in Texas, we're, we're part of the TPAC, which is the Texas Public Accountability Consortium. And it's 43 schools today. And our focus is on building a more meaningful accountability system for Texas beyond standardized testing. Mm -hmm. And so ours has become 
a model for college degrees, symbolic of college readiness, workforce certifications, symbolic of workforce readiness, and student research, symbolic of lifetime learning to prepare students for careers that don't yet exist. So with, with that being said, we're working in Texas with the 12 AgriLife Extension districts that are uh, located strategically all around Texas. And we're trying to find 12 most likely to succeed school districts that are in close proximity to uh, each of the uh, AgriLife Extension districts for the research component of the model. And then the, the goal would be for, if successful doing that, for each of those 12 to then work regionally with five additional schools and then the 60 to work uh, regionally with five additional schools to try to elevate student outcomes uh, in 300 of the 700 small and rural districts in Texas by 2030 as part of the 60 by 30 Texas initiative. Mm. Uh, last year, uh, West Virginia sent a delegation of about 40 people down here from West Virginia University and the State Department as West Virginia is very rural, very hard hit economically with mm -hmm. collapsing coal industry. And uh, Dr. Gee, Gordon Gee, the president of West Virginia University, made the statement, and we're working, we're piloting our model in Van ISD in Boone County, West Virginia as well. But Dr. Gee said, we've already got 34,000 students on the campus in Morgantown, and, and we really don't have the infrastructure to handle all the folks, even in West Virginia, that could benefit from our degree. Plus, if we bring students from Boone County to Morgantown to educate them, they're not as likely to return to Boone County. That really solidified the, the objective that we had been thinking about, about using the land-grant infrastructure. There's a land-grant university in every state that has extension that is a higher ed education arm that l reaches out into rural and remote areas. And so to use that as the linkage to link rural K-12 to the land grant system, the higher education system through extension where we could address really the central problem in Texas and even in the U.S. is that we've, we've had a, a very good K-12 system for, you know, a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, what has happened one time, people, even my generation, you could take a high school diploma and a good work ethic, and there was literally opportunity everywhere, and that has drastically changed. And so the reality is, and especially moving forward with the technology and, and uh, you know, automation of a lot of these more blue-collar type jobs that are replaced by automation, uh, a lot of those jobs have gone away and it's going to continue to go that direction exponentially moving forward. And so the reality is the high school diploma is the equivalent. It's the new eighth grade certificate. The associate degree is the new high school diploma. The bachelor's degree is the new associate degree, the graduate degree, the new bachelor's degree. So ours is a model for all of our students are in a higher education system through 
completion of the bachelor and, and then hopefully the graduate degree. And what that means is as a, as a school-wide early college with the expectation of students earning the associate degree prior to graduating high school, uh, now as a P-TECH, we've added another layer to that. One of the, the caveats of the P-TECH designation, we can keep students in our system for an additional two years uh, through completion of now the bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. So we encourage as many of our students to go that have the associate degree to go the traditional route. It's a great the college experience is a great one, but if they can't afford it, if it doesn't fit their financial means, then now we have, we can keep them in our system as PTEC students. We can continue to draw 1.35 CTE funding on those students for an additional two years. And uh, West Texas A&M has worked with us to develop a, a uh, bachelor's degree of general studies that they call the degree of innovation that is delivered here in Roscoe to these students. So these P-TECH students, they uh, are pursuing a bachelor's degree. They're in a, a four hour paid student apprenticeship in one of our edge businesses or another uh, local business that uh, is closely related to their career aspiration. Uh, we had our first cohort of eight students that began that last June. And now we're anticipating the graduating class of 2020 up to 50% of that class, keeping them in cohort two, uh, where we can reach that 90%. The goal is 90% of our students that complete the associate degree to complete a bachelor's degree and 90% of those a graduate degree. And so that's how we think we can do that. And so the schools that uh, cohort one for education in Texas uh, are two rural schools nearby, uh, Hamlin Collegiate ISD and Throckmorton Collegiate ISD. And then right now we're in the process of working with two additional schools. Uh, Floydata will become a Collegiate ISD and Cumbie out in East Texas will become a Collegiate ISD. And then we're doing the, the board presentation process for a second or third cohort for this time next year. Uh, and that would be Sunray that would become a collegiate ISD. They're up in the panhandle, uh, Goliad, uh, down by Victoria and San Antonio, Heiko possibly in East Texas, uh, Lytle down by San Antonio. So a growing interest in schools, learning how to become part of the education network, become collegiate ISDs that graduate students with a goal of degree certifications and research and a model for all students to be in a support system through attainment of meaningful outcomes. One thing we've learned here is the importance of a support system. The traditional support system beyond grade 12 has always been parents with money, but fewer and fewer students enjoy that luxury. And so how do we work around that to uh, make sure that they're in a support system We've seen that students, regardless of their background, can be 90% successful with a support system. But the minute they're outside that support system, that 9% deteriorates to 10%. And so we know that this model for students in a a higher, all students K-12 to be in a higher ed system 
uh, is is something that uh, has got a lot of potential. Really speaks to the cradle to career concept. Yes. So, Kim, you just gave us a lot of information, and I want to focus on a couple of points that you brought up. Um, the first being your teaching staff for your students going through these different uh, higher level programming. Where do those teachers come from? One thing that we just started is uh, the Texas Tech Grow Your Own Teacher Program. You know, part of the, the rural dilemma is teacher shortage. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of times rural sectors, you're, it's a stepping stone for a bigger and better job. And so the focus of this P-Tech is to, one thing, to grow teachers. But what we've tried to do since we became an early college and our community college partner, Western Texas College, they're about 30 miles away. So we don't actually do spend, our students don't spend time on their campus. They do their work from here. So we've tried to, we've incentivized our teachers to become dual credit certified teachers where uh, we can do face-to-face. It's just a richer experience. And mm-hmm. then we've also done a lot of work around teacher facilitation to help provide professional facilitators for students, uh, early college students that are doing online coursework, provide that support there. Uh, Then we just last month or in January of this year, we rolled out another layer, an adult education program. Uh, West Texas A&M identified 9,000 adults in this four county region that have some college but no degree. Oh, we've got a, a an adult education program that we're just starting up, and uh, we've added a, another option to the menu on that, uh, a competency-based option through Brandman University out in California uh, that is very a very flexible uh, and affordable degree option for those students. You mentioned a variety of programs, EduDrone, EduVet, EduCast. How did you decide which STEM programs to include in your programming? Educate Texas is a a nonprofit in Texas that's housed in the Communities Foundation of Texas that uh, works very closely with Texas Education Agency and Workforce Commission. And what they did was, you know, help us understand the the regional workforce shortages, we were part of a STEM degree accelerator grant. In our region, the the number one STEM workforce shortage area is rural human health care. But because of our paid student apprenticeship model and the fact that high school kids can work on animals, can't work on people. Our students, EduVet, that's where it evolved to enable students to earn certified veterinary assistant that enables them to develop a lot of the fundamental skills that are fundamental for even human health care. Mm-hmm. So uh, EduDrone and EduWeld and EduMaker are designed around engineering is a shortage area in all of Texas. Our two main paths have been biomedical because of rural human health care shortages and engineering because of just STEM workforce shortages. And so trying to identify businesses that are needed in the area or relevant to what drives this local economy and that would lead to certifications that would would lead to 
students that are more highly educated to have workforce opportunities in, in this particular region. Uh, we know that, you know, early college, for example, is going to look very similar regardless of the lo location, but right. we know that STEM Academy, uh, to be meaningful, should be very specific to local communities and, and uh, workforce opportunities. So I, I maintain that that uh, there are no two STEM academies that are exactly alike. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. How did you develop your industry partners within your local area? That's been the most, by far, the most challenging aspect of this model, uh, simply because it sounds so great for K-12 to work with workforce to you know, help us determine what they want their future employees to know and be able to do. The reality is uh, K-12 is used to working in silo, just like higher education, just like workforce. And so learning to develop those. And one of the rural challenges is your proximity to meaningful STEM workforce apprentice opportunities. And so we've had to be kind of creative. I, I tell people all the time, there's probably easier ways to do STEM than build a veterinary medical facility. <laughs> lots of bureaucracy and lots of hoops to jump through legally and otherwise. Uh, but we've been working on that one for six or seven years and uh, it's starting to to line out and we're starting to see the, the fruits of our endeavor. But And what we're trying to do with that realization that a lot of these adopter schools that are becoming part of the Edunation Network, we're trying to expand business opportunities, apprenticeship opportunities into their communities where they don't have to start from scratch and start those businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, we're Eduvet is working with uh, uh, Sunray uh, ISD up in the Panhandle, and they're wanting to be part of Cohort Three. And they're also building uh, a mixed animal vet clinic with a reproduction center. And so we're working with them to uh, help with that. Uh, Goliad, who is down in the central Texas area of the Hill Country, is also interested in that. Our, our edu maker businesses, the, the uh, engineering, uh, Dan Bourne, who's our director of engineering, uh, will be working with these schools that want to run a you know, a satellite of our business that we've developed here in Roscoe. Well, and you, you continue to mention student apprenticeships, and that's a large part of the programming. How do those work? It's, it's challenging. We're, we try to expose all of our students to all of the options on the menu in, in middle school uh, where that we can hopefully help them get on a pathway that is closest thing that we have available that uh, matches their aptitudes and their interests. For example, in EduVet, the biomedical uh, students, their ninth, 10th and 11th grade year will be working towards certified veterinary assistant level one. And then if they achieve that, then uh, their senior year would be their research would be, specific to their career pathway, their apprenticeship, uh, and it would be more of an internship type thing where, where they can get a, a taste of what that 
job that job sector really looks like to see if that is really something they're interested in. Then as they become PTEC students, uh, that's when they actually uh, are doing, they're pursuing their college degree, they're living at home, they're working in one of the edgy businesses, and uh, we've had some students that are really doing a great job uh, uh, in our student businesses of kind of taking ownership and uh, running those things. And then as we rolled out Education U with, with the adult education program, our director of college readiness uh, is working with those students to help them uh, align with the right apprenticeship opportunities that uh, their career aspirations. And Kim, you mentioned that some of the student interns are paid. Who pays them? We've had some grants from Texas Workforce Commission, and that's why we tried to develop businesses that have the potential to become profitable businesses. And from that perspective, at least profitable enough to pay their expenses and to pay the, the apprenticeships out of those. Uh, so Edgevet, uh, you know, we've got a, a number of students that are, that are uh, CBA certified and they're working there at the vet clinic. And some of them have, you know, aspirations of becoming veterinarians, some of them in the medical field, et cetera. And then we have the same thing going. Uh, Veronica Quaylor is a young lady in, in the PTEC program, and she's uh, very gifted in uh, edumaker in the CNC, the woodworking, the 3D printing, and, and things related to that. As you think back to the start of your programming and trying to align all of these different um, entities into developing and delivering student content. You mentioned already some challenges that you had, and that is your industry partnerships and and making sure that students have support all the way through uh, higher ed. But are there other challenges that you faced? And and if so, how did you overcome those? Well, uh, yeah, there's, there's challenges around every corner you know <laughs> the reality is independent school districts were designed to produce high school diplomas and so to do more than that takes requires a lot of collaboration innovation is messy work and so not every idea is a great idea you know for every idea that you might have about a a potential business partnership out of every 10 probably seven of them don't materialize and maybe three of them do. And so it requires a a good bit of persistence and perseverance to keep on moving forward in spite of challenges. You know, when we started all this, uh, there wasn't a lot of focus on workforce readiness, on uh, college readiness. And, you know, and still in Texas, a lot of the focus in, in the majority of the 1,200 school districts is on producing high school diplomas, which isn't enough. And so we've had some pushback legislatively, some pushback at state level, some pushback from other schools that uh, really think we're, we're trying to make school life too hard for everybody. And, but the reality is we always come back to the deal you know, if what you're doing right now is working, then 
you probably don't need to try to do what we're doing because this is very difficult work. But uh, in Texas, we know that at least 77% of the jobs by 2025 are going to require degrees and certifications and only 23% of the graduating class of 2019 in Texas is on track to earn degrees and certifications beyond the diploma. So as you look at the data that from that perspective, what we're doing in Texas is not working. Mm -hmm. And our greatest asset is our human capital. uh, And the biggest waste is wasted human capital. And we know that without these types of interventions, the majority of folks that are born into generational poverty are going to die in generational poverty. Texas is the fastest growing state in the nation. They're projecting us to grow from 27 to 55 million people by 2055. Uh, And if we don't elevate our educational uh, outcomes for these students, 40 million will be in poverty. And that's a scenario where nobody wins. Right. Well, you mentioned already that there's a number of of school districts that are looking to partner with you. If there was a district outside of the state of Texas, and you mentioned uh, that you have some in Virginia, what would they need to do in order to uh, work with you? That's what we're working on right now. uh, We're expanding our capacity. We recently hired a chief of staff and uh, Dr. Marshall Baker. He's lives up in Stillwater. He's former faculty at Oklahoma State University. We've done a presentation for Oklahoma State University that they have a grant to work with some rural school districts in Oklahoma. We, we also have had that conversation with some folks at University of Arkansas and a, a, a rural district right on the outskirts of Fayetteville. We're looking to, as we identify folks out of state that are interested in the education model, establishing a contact at the land-grant university that would be able to work with that K-12 to link extension for the research component. Uh, Because we think we've got a a model that will work not just in Texas, but in the U.S. Where, you know, I mentioned Educate Texas as the academic support in Texas. We're also part of the, I don't know if you're familiar with Bill Daggett with the International Center for Leadership and Education and uh, the AASA Successful Practices Network, mm-hmm. where that's uh, supposedly 25 of the most innovative schools in the nation, uh, and ours appears to be uh, the main rural uh, model in that, and really the only model for alignment and support through completion of the college degrees. So we're, our focus has been on Texas because that's where the model was developed. As we build capacity, uh, Dr. Baker, uh, our chief of staff, he's a former national FFA officer. He grew up in rural New Mexico and his wife grew up in rural Oklahoma. And uh, he's worked really a lot around the country uh, in rural sectors. So uh, we do have a national focus. Our, Our higher ed partner on all this has been Global Consulting Solutions. 
uh, and they're on the campus at uh, Texas A&M University. And they helped develop this model over the last 15 years, and they're also part of the Borlaug Foundation. Well, you mentioned that you have a number of industry partners, and, and you mentioned grant uh, monies that are also something that you uh, utilized. But how does funding overall work for your programming? In Texas, what we're trying to do is access grant funding initially for a startup for PTEC, which is Early College STEM Academy. We've got the research partnership with Extension that's not really expensive. They've made that, you know, affordable. That That's kind of how we've been, been working this thing for grant funding for startup. And then House Bill 3 that uh, is to incentivize college career and military readiness where uh, our model is for schools to get where they can access CTE funding, the additional 0.35 funding on all their seventh and eighth graders. Mm-hmm. And then another component of House Bill 3, uh, we schools get a rebate, so to speak, on students that graduate with degrees or certifications. 3,000 on regular graduates, uh, 5,000 on educationally disadvantaged, and up to 7,000 on special education students. So that's the sustainability funding for this model is the House Bill 3. And, uh, but we know that uh, philanthropy has, there's philanthropic funding out there uh, if you can show a high degree of impact in terms of degree attainment for a population that historically is underserved there. Mm. Do you have any districts that are partners of EduNation that are not rural? No, uh, not yet. We're, we're obviously, our, our focus is on rural, but it's not limited to rural. You know, and we've talked about there are many disadvantages to being rural, but one of the few advantages is it's, it's the smaller the shift, the easier it is to turn. <laughs> True. And it's easier to develop models in, in smaller districts. Uh, for larger districts to uh, scale that than it, than it is to develop the models. The, the larger the district, the typically the more layers of bureaucracy that you have to sort through to do things that are meaningful. Mm-hmm. Well, if another school or district was looking to partner with Edunation and was listening to us talk, there's some things that you've talked about as far as challenges, but what else would they need to be thinking about? Why might they fail if they were starting to look to implement? Talk us through that. I've said all along, necessity is the mother of invention. You know, the reality that what we're doing currently as a state, our K-12 system as a nation, it's not necessarily resulting, it's resulting in high school graduates, but not successful people with the belief that what we're doing is no longer working. And the belief that if we continue in that same trajectory, that for the first time ever, we're not going to leave this a better place for the next generation. It's really a necessity. And you have to believe that as an organization to be able to take chances to, to take risks for innovation because it's, it's riskier. But uh, in terms of student outcomes, you've got to understand that th- this is the, the only way to break generational poverty. And as I understand it, that's 
not just the dilemma in Texas, but all across the nation. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like given the amount of time and given the scale that you've been able to, to uh, push forward, that you've had a lot of successes. Do you have a success story that you can share with us? We had our first, you know, this didn't start off. It's a P20 system model for student success based on a simple theory that the greater the, the expectation we can structure for students, the greater the aspiration and the greater their aspiration, the greater the outcome. Dr. Jose Rangel is a, a first-generation student from Roscoe. His mother is one of our custodians. His dad's a farm worker. He's a 2013 graduate of Roscoe Collegiate and Western Texas College. He's a 2016 graduate of Angelo State University. And then last spring, last May, he graduated from Angelo State with a doctor's degree in physical therapy. So he's kind of become our poster child. And what Jose tells our students is, you know, here's where I'm from. It's no different than where you're from. If I can do this, you can do this. So don't sell yourself short. Uh, you know, don't dream big and then, and then make it happen. You know, that's from, from an individual perspective. And then from a school perspective, Roscoe, started off to solve a, a Roscoe problem, and it's kind of evolved into a state and national model as, as an answer to the rural dilemma. Most of our students, without all these interventions, they, they were born in generational poverty and would die in generational poverty. But a lot of these students are earning a bachelor and even graduate degrees. I'd say that's a success. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know that you've created a model handbook for the change process if a school or district was looking to move to programming like education. What's in the handbook, and are there other resources that a district might be able to look at if they were thinking about uh, something uh, joining you or something like uh, this process that you've gone through within Roscoe? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, first, a little bit about the handbook. Uh, Dr. Shen and Dr. Breyers are the primary authors of that handbook. And really what that handbook is 11 chapters. And uh, it, it does a great job of defining what is the problem. What will be the results if we fail to address this problem? What could be the possibilities if we do address this problem proactively? And so uh, school districts that are adopting our model, they'll come in and they do a day-long in-service that is a book study and try to get not just uh, teachers, administrators, but school people, community people, board members, everybody that we can get together in these communities. That And the goal of that uh, book study at the end of the day is everyone in the room knows what the problem is and the consequences if we address or fail to address. That's, that's what we're doing there with the cultural piece. We're also working with uh, uh, Connie Casson. She lives in Iowa, and she's working closely with Educate Texas and Maya Consulting. We're developing a playbook that is really a, literally a how-to book 
what are the steps in, in implementing a successful early college program, a successful STEM academy, a successful research program that is basically the three big components of the Roscoe Collegiate Model. Kim, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that people are aware of? Rural in, in, in many aspects is the new inner city in terms of dilemma. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, at least in Texas and another grant working on the Root Ed grant, that you know things start urban because of impact and trickle down to rural. And finally, now that rural's kind of front and center, where everyone's realizing that, you know, we need rural. And so uh, a lot of the foundation, there's the Texas Rural Funders Collaborative that is uh, 30 foundations and Edunation is the K-12, a lot of the higher ed components, the community college workforce, the economic development uh, board, things like that, are working together for models like Edunation where as the school goes, so goes the community. And education is not just education, but it's rural economic development. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the opportunity to expand on it a little bit uh, today. Well, if anyone wanted more information or wanted to access the model handbook, how can they get in touch with you? My email is uh, kda at Roscoe dot esc14.net there's also some information on our website uh, www.rosco.esc14.net and then additionally edunation is about to have our own website up which would be uh, www.edu-nation.org Thank you so much for joining me today, Kim. I really enjoyed learning more about the great things happening in Roscoe and with Edunation. Glad to glad to do it. Appreciate uh, your reaching out. And if you know of schools or organizations and are interested in collaboration, we're we're wide open to the concept. member of the Podnuga Network.